Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you believe that there is more to life than what you see right now and you want to find out more, listen in as her guests share their journey and their extraordinary experiences. Now, here is your host, Rhonda Grant. Welcome. We are so pleased that you have joined us. It is here that we will uncover if my guest has had extraordinary discoveries in his life. Theme song for the Rhonda Grant Show is Sun on the Water, composed and performed by John Park Wheeler. My guest today is Jim Britt. Jim has published 15 books, including Rings of Truth, The Entrepreneur, Directing the Movies in Your Subconscious Mind, What I've Learned from My Sixth Sons, to name a few. He has had five number one international bestsellers and has received the best of the best award out of the top 100 contributors of all time to the direct selling industry. Jim is named one of the world's top 20 success coaches and is named one of the world's top 50 speakers. Welcome, Jim. Thanks, Rhonda. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, thank you for being one of my extraordinary guests, which you truly are. With your vast experience as an entrepreneur, writer, speaker, and coach, was there someone or something significant that happened in your life that pointed or steered you in the right direction or the direction that you took? Uh, Yes. Um, It kind of led me in the direction that I eventually took. Yes. (laughs) I, my, my first experience uh, in business um, was uh, with a direct sales company. And, you know, my, my background before that was picking cotton from age six until 12. And that's hard work. That is very hard work, and if you if you've never picked cotton before, it's uh, it's backbreaking. And cotton doesn't weigh very much, and we only got paid two cents a pound for picking it. So you had, to, you had to pick a lot to make make a dollar. You know, so yes. uh, I learned that hard work wasn't wasn't really uh, where you know backbreaking work like that wasn't going to get you ahead financially. Right. Um, and some people like it, and that's fine too. But uh, I didn't. And then I went from there, I dropped out of high school in the 10th grade and then um, ended up working in a gas station pumping gas uh, for about two years. And I made a dollar an hour, worked 60 hours a week. Oh, Um, bless your heart. (laughs) Again, it was hard work. And I guess I, you know, I kind of enjoyed my job in a way, but I knew I wasn't going to get ahead there. And my dream job was actually working in the factory down down the road Uh on an assembly line. Uh, because it was out of the weather and and they paid a little bit more. And uh, long story short, I got that job eventually and worked there for a couple of years. And then w- part of what changed my life was somebody invited me to uh, to a meeting one night uh, to take a look at something we could do to make some extra money. And I could certainly use extra money mm-hmm. at the time. And um, so I attended the meeting and it was like the lights went on. Uh, they started talking about the product that they had to sell and that didn't really excite me that much. But when they started talking about the money you could make, I'll never <laughs> forget uh, the, the figure $2,000 a month. Well, I was making about three fifty a month. And oh. so 2000 a month was like, like a millionaire, you know, it's, yes. what, it's what I would feel like making that. So, um, 
So it really lit me up. And, and I said, you know, not only am I going to do this, uh, I'm going to get rich doing it. And I don't think I even knew what rich was, but, um, but it cost me $4,000 to start. And I only had $9. So, and I didn't know anybody had any more money than I did. So um, I went to 23 banks and loan companies to borrow the money. And finally, number 23 loaned it to me. Um, and I went to work and uh, my first year, um, my commitment was after sitting to a training program, basically what I got from that training is your job is talking to people. If you talk a little, you learn a little. If you talk a lot, you learn a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I asked what a lot was and what a little was. And he said, a little's one and a lot's 10. I said, okay, I'll do the 10. So <laughs> for a year, I didn't miss a day talking to 10 strangers every day. Oh. And at the end of that year, I had over 3,650 people that told me no. So nobody bought from me. Oh. And I remember sitting in my home, standing actually, um, I had a notice on the door from the sheriff saying, you got to be out in five days. It had already been foreclosed. Both of my vehicles had been repoed. My, uh, all of my furniture had been repoed. And I'm standing looking out the kitchen window thinking, what am I going to do? And I had a wife, a child, and 15 cents in my pocket. Oh. And the, the, thought, the, the thought to quit never occurred to me. Mm -hmm. And right after that, just minutes later, I get a knock on the door and this was a life-changing moment. Um, it was a fellow from the company and he said, um, you know, I understand you're a hard worker, but you're not making any money. He said, can we talk? So we sat in my floor for two hours and he taught me what I was doing wrong, what I needed to be doing. And basically, long story short, <laughs> take the two hours into a minute here. Yes. He said, how do you know if you have a viable prospect? And I said, I don't know. I guess if they buy from me. He said, no. How do you know if, they're, if it's even a possibility for them to buy from you? And I said, I don't know. He said, well, obviously you don't. <laughs> you know, you've been out there for a year uh, flapping your jaws. And he said, you, you haven't made a sale. And he said, in order to have a viable prospect, you have to arrive at three destinations. He said, number one, do they have a pain or a problem? Number two, do they want to solve it? And number three, can you solve it? And he said, if you can put all three of those in alignment, you've got a prospect. Okay. He said, now, I, I asked him, I said, how do you know if they have a pain or a problem? He said, you ask questions and you listen. And he said, you stop talking. I said, what kind of questions? He said, it doesn't matter. Just start asking questions. He said, they will tell you what their pain and their problem is. If you ask enough questions. I, again, I said, what kind of questions? He said, any kind. Talk about their family. Ask them where they work, what they do, how long they've been there. Do they like their job? Do they have kids? What do they do for uh, leisure time? Do you like barbecuing? He said, it doesn't matter. Just get into a conversation like you would if you met somebody at a party. He, he said, and they will tell you their pain or problem. He said, but here's the key. And this, this changed my life here. Long, long story to get around to it, but. That's um, a great story. He, uh, uh, he said, 
if you do what I'm about to tell you, he said, you'll never lack for money, friends, a network, um, opportunities. You'll never lack for it. He said, anytime you meet a person, he said, I'm not talking about business, I'm not talking about making sales calls, but you can include that if you want to, but that's not what I'm talking about here. He said, if you meet somebody on an airplane, you meet somebody in a, at a happy hour, you meet somebody in a coffee shop, at a party, whatever, always be thinking, what can I do to help this person? He said, if you're always thinking that, he said, it's not about making a sale or making money. It's what can you do to help that person? Because, you know, that's most people thinking, well, I'll help them, but I want to get paid for it. Well, you will get paid for it eventually. And sometimes mm -hmm. immediately, you know, <clears throat> it's a viable prospect that wants your product. But at the same time, um, you know, I've had times like on, I remember one time on an airplane and the woman was, uh, you know, telling me all the problems she was going through and uh, a breakup in a marriage and just a whole bunch of stuff that she was going through. And she was in tears. And I reached into my, my briefcase and pulled out my book, Rings of Truth. And I said, um, I said, if I gave this to you, would you read it? And she said, yes. Um, and we exchanged contact information. I gave her the book. I signed it for her. And about two weeks later, she, she called me and she was just in tears. She'd finished the book. It had, it had basically just changed her whole life. And, wow. Uh, wow. but I wasn't looking for anything from that. And, um, all I'm doing is looking to help somebody. You know, I, I, somebody was asking what the best book is on, on direct selling uh, on a website. And I said, well, if you want to read the best one out there, uh, private message me and I'll send you a PDF copy of it. And, you know, I just like to, I like to help people and it all comes back. It always does. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that uh, it's hard it's, it is hard for people when they get into a sales position, um, uh, a commission sales position, because um, they, when they start out, they are thinking about how much money they could make um, mm -hmm. when they make a sell. And, and the thing is, is that people see that and, um, and people get turned off about it. And then you try harder and harder and harder. And then all of a sudden you just can't, you just can't make a sell. And then you have to stop doing what you're doing. Um, and so I really like, uh, what can I do to help this person? Um, because that's mostly what you're doing, whether whatever you're selling, you're helping uh, what that person needs at that time, right? Yeah, I mean, I had one, one woman she, uh, that, that I knew, and she said, she said uh, would you write the forward for my book? And, oh, no, she started out by saying, can you, will you refer me to a publisher for my new book? And this was back when print on demand really wasn't around. So it wasn't that easy to publish a book. You had to print 10,000 copies if you wanted to self-publish. Um, and I said, send me the book. If I like it, I'll refer you. I read it. I did like it. And I referred her to a publisher and the publisher, uh, you know, basically published the book for her. So she calls me up and she said, uh, I want, I want you, uh, she said, I want to, I want to pay you 
an agent fee of 15% for getting me into the publisher. And I said, I, I'm, I'm not an agent. So I said, no. I said, I, I didn't do that for that reason. She said, no, I would have had to pay an agent to get into that publisher, but you walked me right in the front door. And she said, I'm going to pay you 15%. And I said, I'm not going to accept it. She said, I'm going to send you a check every time I get royalties. And I said, then I'll tear them up. I said, I'm just not, that's not why I referred you. <laughs> I said, if I liked the mm. book, I would refer you. Yeah. And she said, really? You wouldn't take the money? I said, nope. And she says, okay. She said, will you write the foreword for the book? And I said, yeah, I will. And she says, uh, okay, but here's a requirement. You have to mention one of your books in the foreword and you have to mention your website. I said, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> so she was determined to do something, you know. Uh, but, you know, if you expect things, you know, if like if you're, even if you're making a sale uh, and, and you're in a selling situation, you could still be thinking about what you can do to help that person because exactly. if you can't help them, you're not going to make the sale anyway, unless you high pressure somebody. And then they're not going to like it either. Once, once you're gone and they're going to have that, what do you call it? Uh, post uh, uh, buyer's remorse. Or yeah. Yeah. Buyer's remorse. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, well, and they're not going to come back and buy from you again. Right. You know, like if it's a commodity, they're not going to come back and buy from you again. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I've just, I've lived my life that way. And uh, I think it's, it's really been beneficial uh, for me. I think it's a, a great philosophy to have. Yes. And so when this person said that to you, what, what did you do after that? <laughs> uh, well, the next month, I made $2,600 and I hadn't made a dime for a year. And then the next month after that, I made over 6,000. And the sixth month I was at 40,000 a month. And by the end of the second year, I was a millionaire. So he had given you a key. All it took was a little tweak. (laughs) It taught me the value of learning from other people's experiences. You know, I, I kept, I forget who it was that said it, Some somebody in a sales book someplace, it says practice makes perfect. Well, that's true, but what if you're practicing the wrong thing? Then exactly. you're perfecting the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So I was practicing, I was out there talking to 10 people every day. Now, what I did learn from that, what I did perfect is I perfected uh, the ability to talk to people and you know engage strangers in conversations. Um, and, and I also, uh, overcome that fear of uh, rejection. You know, people ask me today, do you ever feel rejected? And I go, no, I did that when I was 22 years old. Yeah, I got enough of that. (laughs) I did that 3,650 times in a year. But, Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it, it, it turned around so fast, just with one, one idea, in a couple little tweaks in two hours, um, you know, a fellow that uh, was that I coached here recently. He flew in and and spent a few hours with me and in in a couple of sessions after that. And um, uh, you know he'd been dealing with an issue for years and years. He didn't even know how long, but he'd been dealing with this issue. But he didn't know what the issue was. Well, within thirty minutes of, of 
asking questions, I found out what his pain and his problem was. And it, it was a need for approval from his father. And we worked on that. I mean, when, when I helped him discover that, he said, oh my God, he said, I've been, I've been trying dealing with this stuff for, for 20 years, 25 years. And he said, you nailed it in 30 minutes. He said, I've already got my money's worth. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, it, it's, it's asking questions and listening is really what it is. And a lot of people ask questions, but they're not listening to really what the person's saying or listening to the words, but what's the meaning behind it? Mm -hmm. Listening deeply. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, how much of your uh, journey, uh, Jim, did you uh, follow your gut instinct or your intuition? Did that play a part in it? Yeah, I'd say my pretty much my whole life I have, um, you know, if you're familiar with Jim Rohn, most mm -hmm. people are, uh, Jim was actually a trainer for that company I was with uh, when I was 22 years old. And so I, that's where I met Jim Rohn and we became close friends and were up until he passed away a few years ago. Uh, but we kind of, it's interesting. I never, I never planned to be a speaker writer. In fact, I didn't think I could write. I dropped out of high school because of English. So I didn't think yes. I could put two words together and make sense. But um, so when that company went out of business at, at some point, a couple of years into it, and, and, and Jim moved and I moved and we lost touch with each other because when you move back then your phone, your phone changes, your phone number. Yes. We had no cell phone. So um, I lost track of Jim Rohn, didn't know where he was. And I called a few people, nobody knew. And one day I walk in, I was in Phoenix, Arizona. I went there to look at some property to, to build a warehouse. Um, and I walk into a restaurant one morning in Phoenix for breakfast and there sat Jim Rohn. <laughs> and what? Awesome. And we sat down and had a conversation, had breakfast together. And he said, why don't you join me in business? And I said, what, what's the business? He said, promoting me, promoting him. Yes. Um, he said, I'll do the seminars. You do the promotion. You fill up the seats and sell the tickets. And, um, uh, and I said, well, have you done this before? Nope. <laughs> so I think I was the first one ever to sell a ticket to a personal development seminar ever. And Probably. Yeah. So I joined up at Jim Rohn. That was in the in the early seventies. Um, and we spent eight years together up until about 80, 82 or some, sometime in there, I forget, but about eight years together. And we re remained friends even after that. Um, but um, I, I hired and trained Tony Robbins when uh, he worked for us. He looked up to Jim Rohn as his mentor and I was his, we didn't call it a coach, but I was his coach or trainer basically. Mm -hmm. So, and how did that come to pass? How did you uh, end up uh, working with Tony Robbins as well? Well, uh, Tony came to one of our seminars in Southern California, and, and then he wanted to go to work for us. He fell in love with Jim Rohn and always looked up to Jim, and he came back to two or three seminars, and, um, and then he made contact with me to, for me to hire him. He wanted to go to work for us. Well, the problem is he was only 17. He didn't look 17 because he was six foot seven. Yeah. And so um, I wouldn't hire him. 
And then he turned 18. I told him when he turned 18, I would hire him. And he came back on his 18th birthday. So uh, he went to work for us and, uh, you know, taught him how to, you know, go out and make presentations, sell tickets to seminars and present himself and, and probably a little bit on how to dress and, and look professional and that type of thing as well. Um, so that's, that's how we, you know, Tony and I became friends and uh, still are today. Mm -hmm. I took my children, uh, my adult, they were adults at the time, uh, early uh, adult. And uh, we went down to New Jersey uh, and attended the uh, Unleash the Power Within. And it, uh, it, it, it's one of those defining times in my life and uh, with my, my adult children as well is that uh, we, it was the, the, the conference where he trains you, conditions your mind to walk across a bed of coals. Right. And that's what we did. And we, we went back to the hotel after and debriefed and, and we were sitting there kind of, you're kind of in a, in a shock when you do something totally outrageous like that. Yeah. And um, it was life-changing uh, for all of us because we thought if we could do that, what well, else can we do? A cute story. Uh, when when Tony left left us, uh, he first left and joined up with Harvey Diamond, who wrote the book Fit for Life. Yes. And he was a big proponent of, uh, of Harvey. And Harvey used to hang out at our seminars. And um, But he had become, you know, one of the all-time best-selling health books out there. And Tony was going to go promote him, but that didn't work. And then somebody, somebody told me a month or so after that, they said, Tony's trying to teach people how to walk on hot coals. And I'm going, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's outrageous. Said, yeah, some, some Indian guru taught him how to, how to walk on hot coals. And I said, okay, whatever. And I didn't believe it. And, and then Tony calls me and he said, come up to LA. I was in Orange County. And uh -huh. come up to LA and, and, attend my seminar and, and with, with people walking on hot coals and I'm going, yeah, you know, I'm kind of busy, Tony. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so he called me like four or five times. And finally, I remember it's 30, 37. Let's see, my wife was pregnant with our first son. So 37 years ago, uh -huh. 37 or 38. And um, uh, I, I finally said, okay, I'll come up. And so my wife and I drove up and, and she's about seven months pregnant. She said, are you going to walk on hot coals? And I said, yeah, if anybody else does, I will. And I kind of laughed and she said, well, I'm not, I'm, you know, seven months pregnant. Mm -hmm. So we get up there and go into this, this little uh, community center. And as soon as I walk up the stairs into the courtyard, there's a big fire going in the middle of the courtyard. <laughs> 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 and so I went on in and, uh, and there's about maybe, maybe 50 people there, if that. And um, so, uh, you know, Tony gets up and talks for three hours. Yeah. And about half of the material was mine and the other half was Jim Rohn's. Oh, and yes. At the end of it, he said, we're going to go out and uh, walk, on, walk on hot coals now. So everybody take off your shoes and socks and roll up your pants if you got pants on and come on outside or stand up first. And he, and he said, okay, it, we're, I'm, I'm going to play some music. And when you're ready to walk on coals, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder. 
So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go along with it. So I stood up, closed my eyes and waited. And uh, people were walking out right and left. And I'm thinking, well, maybe he's not going to tap me. Maybe I'm not ready. You know? <laughs> yeah. Finally he does. And so we go outside and, and he said, okay, everybody. Well, when I first walked out the door, some, one of his, uh, I called him his groupies back then was yeah. walking across the hot coals and everybody else is kind of watching in awe, you know? So he, he's Tony said, okay, everybody's going to walk, get on this side. Everybody that's not get on this side and, but don't get on the side. That's not going to walk. If you're afraid, uh, if you just don't want to do it. And my, my wife said, I'm going over there. So everybody split up except for me and I'm still standing there and I'm trying to figure out, do I want to do this or not? Yeah, I know. Tony, Tony finally, he said, Britt, he said, you're going to come across or not. And I said, okay, but I want to be first. And he said, come on over. So I went over to head of the line and, and walked over and walked across. And so, I, you know, it wasn't a big deal. I didn't think it, I mean, there's more heat on my face than there was on my feet. It felt like, yeah. And back then it was 60 feet long. It was a oh. long trail. Wow. Yeah. And uh, they had a puddle of water at the other end. You put your feet in when you, when you finish, but, um, but then uh, the next day, Tony called me and he said, he said, Jim, I'm, I'm not making any money. He said, I'm, I'm on front page of newspapers. Uh, I've got the reporters out there. He said, they're taking pictures. They're talking about it. He said, I'm in people magazine. I'm in here or there. I forget all the places where he was being publicized, but he said, bottom line is he said, I'm broke, man. He said, I'm not making any money. Oh boy. And I said, he said, can you help me? Well, he first called and asked if we, we could have lunch. And then he told me I'd have to buy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew there was a problem. So, uh, so we, we have lunch and, and, and he said, it told me all of this and I'm going, okay. He said, can you help me? I said, yeah, I can. How many people did you have there last night? And he said, uh, about 50. I said, how many of them actually paid? Uh, because I didn't pay. And I said, I'm sure you had a group there that didn't pay. He said, probably 10. I said, so you had 40 people. What did you charge them? He said, $60. How much did you pay to get it sold? I said, okay, uh, you paid 50% to get it sold. So that's 20 tickets at $60, basically, mm-hmm. or 40 at $30. So that's 1200 bucks. I said, uh, what'd you pay for the fire permit? And I forget what it was, uh, maybe a couple of hundred dollars. And uh, I said, uh, what'd you pay for the room? And who, who paid for all of that? And I said, now, if you're in some other city, who pays for your transportation to get there? You know, your air flight or hotel? I do. I do. Everything was I do. And I said, well, that's why you're not making any money. He said, I, I get it. I get it. I said, but here's, here's the key, Tony. I said, you don't teach somebody to walk on fire for $60 in three hours. I said, you do it for $500. Use your, use your three hours to introduce them to what they're going to learn at the two day or three day event. That's going to be $500 and they're going to walk on fire. Oh, fantastic. And the look on his face, he went, Oh my God. He said, I can't believe I didn't think of that. And wasn't 30 days later, I get this big brochure in the mail, Anthony Robbins, two-day mind revolution. I think he called it then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a list of things he's doing and a firewalk and all of that. 
$495. (laughs) And he took off from there. And of course, he got picked up by an infomercial and spread all over the world. But yeah, that's my Tony story. But it's a great guy. I I always, when when I see Tony or hear him or catch a clip of him someplace, I always feel like maybe I had some little something to do with that. Well, it sounds like you did. Yeah, I mean, of course, he doesn't. He's progressed so much over the years. I mean, he's just, he's awesome. But, um, um, but you know, it's like the, the guy that sat with me for two hours. I mean, it, it changed my life. And I never saw him again. And you never saw him again. No. And was he from the company that you had worked at? Or? Yeah, he, he, okay. was, he, was, from, he was from corporate. Yeah. Wow. You know, there are some defining moments in people's lives um, that just puts them on that trajectory, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I never planned to be doing what I do. And I kind of go, well, I'm not a goal setter. Uh, I'm a decision maker. Yes. Act upon the decisions. And call it a goal if you want, but I don't write my goals down if that's what it is, because I can remember them. So I don't have to think <laughs> about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Vision board telling me I want a new boat or something. I just okay. make a decision and get it. You know, it's yes. So uh, I'm a little different than that. And people say, well, where are you going to be in five years? I'm going, I have no idea. Uh, about 10 years, no idea. I, have, I don't even know where I'm going to be next month. Um, I just know that I'm going to do the best I can do each day and put the best foot forward and, and affect as many people in a positive way as I can. Oh, wonderful. Yes. I know. And, uh, and people, you know, people set goals and uh, they run out of steam, uh, lose their momentum and things like that. And I, I am a, a writer and I, well, you're, you're a writer too, but I mean, I've always been a writer in the fact that I'm always writing down uh, my plan for the day. And, and then, and then I always say to myself, if I can just get this done, then this is what I'm going to do. Um, and it's not that it's better than what I'm doing. It's just something uh, a little extra that I can do. And um and every day and, and things that don't get done on the, on the, like, let's say today, if things don't get done today, they, they have to go on the next day. But the thing is, is that you create this unbelievable momentum. And then all of a sudden, uh, like for instance, me, here I am a podcaster that I never planned on being, I didn't even have a chance to dream it up. I didn't even think it was in on my path. Um, and so I think that when you commit and hold yourself to a high standard, I, I think these things kind of fall into place for you. Do you? And well, you have to also meet the right people. Well, they, it does fall into place. It, it, and it's it really, it's based on a foundation uh, of a, a firm decision, whatever it is you're, you're doing, uh, yes. writing a book or whatever it is. Um, and if you, if you draw a circle on a piece of paper, a full circle, that's a decision, firm decision if that represents. Okay. But what most people have is that circle with just a little bit of an opening at the top. And that's their escape route. 
Oh, geez, yes. That's their excuse. Why it didn't work, why they had to change, why they couldn't move forward, uh, couldn't do this or could do that. It's always yeah. that little thing at the top or bottom yeah. or wherever they want to put it, but it's, just, it's an escape route. And you, if you look at anything you have in your life that you went after, you didn't have that escape route. You got it, whether it was a new car, a new home, or whatever it might have been, um, you made a decision to have it, you got it. And the problem is that most people spend, I would say, 80% of their waking hours um, focused on, on what they don't want. <laughs> you know? Yes. People say, well, how do you handle stress? And I said, you know, stress comes from trying to control things beyond your control. Yes. And, and that creates stress. Worry is stressful. Well, if you can do something about it, go do it. But if you can't do anything, let it go. Set it aside. And they're going, well, letting go is not that, not that easy. And I said, yes, it is. If I'm holding this glass of water in my hand, that doesn't mean I have to hold it in my hand for the rest of my life. I can set it down. Pick it up mm -hmm. again if I want to, set it down again. And the same goes with trying to control something. You can let it go and put it out of your mind. And, and let things unfold the way they're supposed to. And, and I think when Einstein said that we only use 10% of our brain, I think that's what he was referring to. The other 90% is caught up in uh, things that burn up your energy and burn up your creativity and time. Uh, yes, and time. And yeah, I think that people start out with really good intentions and then they negotiate themselves out of it. They say, well, I, I just won't do it or, you know, whatever. What happens is my, you know, the book I, uh, uh, next to the last one I just came out with was um, directing the movies of your subconscious mind. Yes. I... We all have, what we have today in our lives, uh, good or bad, whatever, is based on programs that we've, uh, we've been programmed from, from the time we were born, basically. Mm -hmm. And we get programmed, you know, day to day learning things, whether it's, you know, learning what an airplane is as a kid or whatever, learning to drive a car, we get programmed. Um, you speak English, I speak English. Uh, we were programmed to do that. I was up in Montreal recently and there were, there was two kids there, a five-year-old and a six-year-old, and they both spoke French and English. I'm going, how can this happen to a five and six-year-old? I can't even speak a word of French other than we. Oui. <laughs> yes. Not, <laughs> and they and here they are five years old and they can do it it's uh, it uh, i just found it fascinating and they're immersed uh, in they're immersed in it and well, yeah uh, i mean the, the the mom was french and the dad was english but they both spoke french and english so they can they conversed in both languages and the, the kids just pick it up that's just you know, awesome like calling a dog in french versus english the dog's going to respond to french as, if that's how it's programmed Yes, exactly. That's, uh, we just get, we get programmed. And I don't remember when we had a conversation before, but I always, I found it fascinating that uh, the, the interview with Tony Robbins and a, and a robot. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll mention it again for the, for the viewers or listeners here. Yes. Um, you, you know, the, the robot's name is Sophia and they actually carried on an intelligent conversation. And you can probably Google it and find it out there. Tony Robbins interviews robot. Um, but I found it fascinating, found it a little bit scary in one way because this robot's actually 
understanding what he's saying and, and responding with a with an answer, you know. And but some of the questions uh, that he asked, he says, um, uh, "Do do you have feelings and emotions?" And and Sophia says, "No, we don't. Robots don't have feelings and emotions, but we we understand it." Uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing. I don't remember exact words she used, but yes. Um, and then he said, "Well." Um, what do you know about quantum physics? And she says, I don't know much at all about quantum physics, but I can study it. When I do, I'll know everything about it, which I found kind of crazy too, because, you know, you can program that robot to know everything about something and then it can respond accordingly. And then the last question was the one that blew me away. He said, what's the difference between a robot and a human? And she says, not much. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. Yes. I mean, not much. And when you think about it, we're, we're programmed just like a robot gets programmed. And we can spout out what we've been programmed with. You know, it's I mean, you, you, so I speak English. You speak English. Uh, you may have a little different uh some words you use different than I do because I yes. grew up in Oklahoma, so I might not always speak the perfect grammar. Uh, and you can go on down in the deep South and you'll go, that's not even English. <laughs> it's hard to understand, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but great people, but they, but they have a different dialect. Then you go to New York and it's totally different. Then you go to New Jersey and it's different. And uh, Montana is different. It's, it's just, uh, it, it's how we're programmed. Mm-hmm. And we're programmed about everything. We're programmed about money and our relationship toward money. Yes. You know, the, the one program I put together is called Cracking the Rich Code. Yes. An online program. And basically it helps people to change their relationship toward money. That's the reason people don't have enough of it. That's the relationship they have is not enough. They, they, they either work at a job and get paid and they live either right at their means or, or above their means in most cases, because there's a lot of, usually a lot of credit cards and debt, um, or they're, they're an entrepreneur, they have their own business, uh, or maybe they live sale to sale. Every time they make a sale, they get paid and they, yes. they don't get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, or they get a pay raise. They get, oh man, I got a $500 a month pay raise. You know, now I can afford that, that better car. Yes. So now they just, they just consumed that, pay raise. So they're still living right paycheck to paycheck. And didn't Jim Rohn say there's too much month at the end of your money? Yeah, that was, wasn't that one of his quotes? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, Yeah. It's, and that, that happens to most people uh, because of how they've been programmed regarding money. You know, you spend 80% of your waking hours going after money the average working person, but yet 95% of the population doesn't have enough. That just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't compute in my brain mm-hmm. that, that you're barely getting by. Mm-hmm. You spend 80% of your waking hours trying to earn it. So there yeah. must be something wrong because 5% of the population does pretty well. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that uh, not a lot of people um, I, are, sorry, I think that a lot of people have jobs and um, they, because that's also programming. <clears throat> what are you going to be when you grow up? What kind of job are you going to get? 
um, instead of cultivating uh, what people's passions are and what, you know, what, what makes you turn your light on. And I think that when your light does turn on is uh, everything open up, opens up for you and the money comes in. Well, you know, I've got uh, six sons and two yes. from the first marriage. And in my first marriage, my, my wife, uh, she believed a thousand percent in uh, go to college, get a job and work for a company and, and retire in 40 years or something. Mm-hmm. And, and my two sons, my two older sons from that marriage, both have jobs and they, you know, they do really well. They have computer science degrees. And one of them is a big executive at Microsoft and makes half a million a year. And the other one is with uh, some division, I think of IBM or, or some tech company uh, does really, really well, um, which, which is great. And in fact, my second to the oldest son that works for Microsoft, uh, he said, I'm getting ready to retire. I mean, he's like 50 or, or less or something. You wow. know? And, and uh, he's made up money to retire. Well, that worked for him. It does work well, sometimes for you sure. You live conservatively and you take care of your money and you invest it right. And if you're making a half a million a year, um, you know, even if you're paying a whole bunch of taxes on that, you're still going to come way out way ahead and have a lot of money to retire on. Mm-hmm. But my other four sons, um, my wife homeschooled them, number one, and she gave them a choice to be homeschooled or go to public school, but she homeschooled them all the way through two of them. One of them went to high school for six months in the 10th grade. And he said, this is stupid. I already know all this stuff. I'm taking the equivalency and getting out. And he Mm -hmm. did, uh, took the equivalency, passed it hundred percent, enrolled in a community college. By the time he was 18, he had two years of college. It didn't go back to any more college. And uh, the other, the, one of them was independent study. So he never even went to school in, in the high school years. Uh, he did it. Uh, my wife didn't, didn't teach him either. He just picked up lessons and uh, t- the teacher would come out once a week, drop off lessons and pick up his lessons that he'd finished. And he graduated at 16 and the other two graduated at 16. And, um, and I did a class in entrepreneurship once a week for about an hour, hour and a half. And I didn't try to influence them in going any direction, not not, don't, you know, go do what I do, whatever. Mm -hmm. I didn't do any of that. Mm -hmm. I just taught them about entrepreneurship because I said, if you can think like an entrepreneur, you're going to, even if you have a job, you're going to be a more valued employee and you'll get, you'll get promotions and raises and much, much faster if you think like an entrepreneur. So that's what I taught them. And um, all four are entrepreneurs. They're all fantastic. So it's again, programming, you know? So here's the problem though. We try to break out of that programming. How many times have, have people tried to go out and and make more money and fail? Uh, Well, pretty often. In Mm -hmm. fact, most of the time, it's not because they don't want it. It's not because they're not working hard. It's, it's because of the programming. So, um, what stops us, we're in this self-imposed prison that we don't even know we're in. We don't. Yeah, that's right. It's been created as we grew and grew up, it's been created and we got stuff in there. We don't even know we have, Mm -hmm. and they all interconnect. So it may not be that your relationship to money is bad. It may be your relationship 
to feeling abandoned. So when you don't want to feel abandoned, you end up taking on a business partner that that's that's not somebody you should even be taking on simply to have somebody there with you, which costs you your business. I've seen that happen many, many times. So it's, oh, yes. it's uh, interesting things that we do that may may not be directly related to what we're what we're wanting to do that may hold us back. So it's really finding that uh, what I call an addictive cycle that that we get into, whether it be about relationships or money or uh, business or you know whatever, any area, your health, weight loss, all of those things, we can get into these cycles and just never get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, one woman in a, in a workshop, she wanted her, her big goal was to lose weight. She was 180 pounds overweight. Oh, and, um, and, and she said, I don't know why I'm overweight. I said, well, what have you tried before? She said, I've tried. Uh, she, I think she said something like 20 different programs over years. And, and I said, none of them work. She said, I lose a few pounds, get them back. And I lose 10, gain it back. And so I worked with her for a while and discovered what our real problem was, um, and which was basically, I won't mention her name, but uh, she, uh, she was gang raped when she was 13. Oh, and she went home and didn't tell her parents. This is the first time she's told anybody. And she buried that and she made a commitment to never let a man touch her again. So she felt that probably eating and gaining weight would be the way to do that. Mm-hmm. And... And so I helped her let go of that. In the next six months, she lost 180 pounds and she's in, has been in a relationship for years now. Oh, that's so wonderful that you were able to help her. Well, it's just, it's understanding that cycle and, and discovering what it is that, that causes it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, simply one woman says, I'm always late for my appointments. I don't know why. And I said, well, I know why. <laughs> she said, well, how would you know? I said, well, it's your need for approval. You show up late and everybody's upset or waiting on you. And you finally got here. Well, that's it's your way of getting attention. You know, mm-hmm. it, you don't think it is when, you, you, when you're late. You think you're just running late, but it's your way of getting attention. Looking too oh. busy, got, you know, got tied up here, got traffic, got this or that. Um, I gave one fellow a good, a good lesson one time. One of my managers, when I was with Jim Rohn, an office manager, we would meet every Wednesday morning for breakfast. And he was always late. And he always had an excuse. You know, my cat ran away. My, you know, had a flat tire, got caught in traffic, this or that. Every week he had an excuse. So one week I'm, and he was always about 20 minutes late. And I'm sitting there waiting on this guy. He's taking up my time. Mm-hmm. He was a good manager. Um, and so one week I decided, okay, we'll set the appointment, but I didn't go. And he calls me up about, you know, an hour later after the appointment was supposed to take place. And he said, where were you this morning? And I said, man, I was there. I said, I waited you know, like 20, 25 minutes. And I said, you didn't show up. So I thought maybe you just missed it. Oh man, I'm sorry. And he gave me his excuse. I said, no problem. We'll just meet next week. So next week I didn't show up. And same thing happened again. He calls me and, and this went on for four weeks. And then one more, he called me one morning and he goes, where were you this morning? I said, well, I was there. He said, no, you were not. I was right on time. 
I waited for 20 minutes. You never showed up. And I said, <laughs> I said, well, Dan, I said, uh, I haven't been there the last four weeks. And he said, really? And I mm. said, yeah. I said, I, I, I can't waste my time sitting waiting on you every week. And you got some excuse. And so it was probably 15 to 20 years later, I walk into a, a lobby of a hotel in San Diego and there's there sat Dan with a group of people around him, his salespeople and a company he'd created. And I come in the door. I hadn't even seen him for 20 years or something like that. And he said, Jim Brett, oh my God. He turned to his group and he said, if you want somebody to teach you some time management skill sets, this guy's the one to do it right here. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And he told the story to, the, to his group. And, uh, yeah. So as we begin to wrap up, Jim, how may people contact you, reach out to you? Well, if, if you have questions about uh, some of the things I do, you can always email me at support at jimbrit.com. Or you can go to jimbrit.com and see some of my programs there. Click on, uh, if you want a great program, Cracking the Rich Code uh, yes. is on that site as well. Or you can go to crackingtherichcode.com. Um, and that's a four-month program designed to change your relationship toward money. And it, it's four months and you get daily input. Uh, I mean, absolutely daily, either video, audio, and you got lessons and things that you do over those four months, all designed to reprogram your subconscious because you can't do it in, in one fell swoop. You got you to gotta, you know, reprogram a little at a time. Mm -hmm. so anyway. It takes time for the brain to um, recalibrate and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel that you've been called to your journey in life, Jim? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I was uh, speaking with a close friend of mine uh, a few years back, probably 10 years ago. And, and I said, you know, I've got this whole program that I do. And I said, I'm, I'm really good at it. You know, I can, I can take I can take people with a problem and help them discover what it is and, and help them break that cycle and, and get over it. I said, whether it's a thousand people in a room or one person at a time, I said, I, I have that ability to do that for some reason. And I said, but I've been thinking about teaching other people to do what I do. And she says, it's your gift. Nobody yes. will ever be able to do what you do. Mm -hmm. And, and it does, it, 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 it does feel like it was a calling because, you know, it just evolved over time. It and did. I can't, imagine, I can't imagine not doing it, not, not doing what I do. Um, so, so yeah, I think I was, I think it, it was a calling for me. I think so too. I if think you read my so book too. Rings of Truth. Uh, yes. My story, I would highly recommend it. Um, in fact, if you, if you're listening and you email me, at support at jimbrit.com. I'll send you a PDF of it, or you can look it up and find it online. Um, but uh, I guarantee it will change your life. Uh, definitely. Wonderful. What extraordinary discovery have you found in your life? Um, good question. Here's, here's what I found. About 20 years ago, something like that, Friend of mine, we used to converse back and forth. We'd, we'd sometimes get the same books and read them and then discuss them. And a lot of, a lot of spiritually oriented stuff. And, mm -hmm. 
And he called me up one day and we're, we're talking about one page in this certain book. And uh, he said, before we go, he said, what do you, what do you think about, what do you think the word resourceful means? I said, I don't know. I guess being more productive, using your imagination, you know, something like that. And he says, yeah, it's just an interesting word. And I said, yeah, I guess. And we hung up and I couldn't quit thinking about it. So I come home as before the internet. So I know it's been over 20 years and um, I come home and look it up in a dictionary because I couldn't, couldn't quit thinking about it. And resourceful is defined as, as once again, full of source resourceful, once again, full of source. I'm going, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Depends on what you think source is. So I thought, okay, I'm going to look up source. So I looked up in the dictionary and it was defined as where all things originate. Where all, not some things, it says where all things originate. I went, wow, that's powerful. If you can think of maybe source is the universe or God or whatever you want to call it, yeah. you know? All things originate. That is powerful. So I kept looking for other definitions of source. I was obsessed with it. I'd go into bookstores. I'd look at old books. I'd, you know, try to look at origin of words. And it wasn't like today, you probably just Google it and find it. So I was in, in a small town in England, Chester, England. And um, there was an antique bookstore. I see the sign. I'm always intrigued by old books. So I walk in the back door. And as I walk in, here's this dictionary. It must be eight, eight inches thick. And it looked like it had been beat up for years. So I don't know how old it was. I didn't look at the print date on it, but it looked really, really old. So, and it also had a sign on it, do not open, do not touch. And I thought that was probably for the people in the UK and not for me. So <laughs> I carefully opened it. <laughs> I was prepared to buy it if I had to, but I opened it to the S's and looked up source. And I was reading some of the definitions and it was kind of what I'd found before, but then I saw one that says source love. I went, wow, once again, full of love. I thought about that for a day or two. And I thought, you know, when you, when you write a book, when you, when you want to accomplish something that you're really passionate about, you're in love with it. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Oh, yes. So that's where things get created is when you're in love with it. And you can't be halfway in love with something. You know, it's got to be a full circle. It's got to be a full commitment. And that then that passion can carry you that love can carry you. So it's where all things originate. So when you set a goal or make a decision, um, you're planting that seed in love. And it will grow out of there. And, but your only other option is fear. Mm-hmm. Then I started thinking, <laughs> this bugged me for a few days. I'm going, okay, well, if all things originate in love, where does fear come from? And I, I thought about it and I thought, oh, you know what? It's proof that a human being can create because it's a made up story. It's not real. It's made up. Even if a bear's chasing you through the woods and you're afraid, it's still a made-up story because you're making up in your mind what's going to happen if that bear catches you, yes, uh, or whatever it is that you're afraid of. You know, afraid of people, afraid of uh, rejection, whatever. Um, but here's what I discovered: it's created in love, 
fear is created in love because you planted that in love and it's love is presenting you with the fear saying, if you have, if you take care of this, you can have more of me. So Mm -hmm. fear, if you look at it for what it is, it's something that you need to let go of. Oh yes. And get back in that place of, of love. So if you do, that's beautiful. Thank you very much. If you do what you do with love, you'll have only what you love in your life. That's wonderful. Well, thank you very much uh, to my extraordinary guest, Jim Brett. Uh, I think we could talk for probably another hour, um, <laughs> but, but I do have to wrap up. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun and so informative for the listeners. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. So this is Rhonda Grant with the Rhonda Grant Show, author of Magical Forces Within, Extraordinary Discoveries in an Ordinary Life, inviting you to look for the magical forces within yourself today and every day. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye now. Thanks for tuning in to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you would like to find out more information about Rhonda and her upcoming guests and the work that she does, go to her website, rhondagrantauthor.com. That's rhondagrantauthor.com. 